Okay, this morning, I was in Psalm 22, which led to Psalm 23, right into 24. Psalm 22, many believe this, and I do. Huge portions of Psalm 22 were quoted when Christ was on the cross. For instance, if you see the actual crucifixion in Matthew 27, verse 46, where Christ cried out, My God, my God, God is my Father, the Holy Spirit, who was his constant guide. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was fulfilled, and we see, he says, the Psalm of David. And that's why the Psalms of David and any, uh, anything of positive truth was written in the Spirit of Christ. Because the only one who fulfilled Psalm 22, verse 1, was Jesus Christ. Okay, now, and he had to be far from him because he would be the one that would close that distance between us and God the Father. And then, of course, you sh I want you to follow that all the way through. You see Psalm 22, and you look at it all the way, all the way through. And you're going to see how there was, even in Psalm 22, the prayer that Jesus Christ was praying, if you follow it through, was so beautifully answered. That answer was the resurrection. He couldn't bypass death, and Christ knew that because he had to propitiate the Father to thus become the substitute whereby all of us, who, those who would choose him to deal with their uh, personal sins, would be reconciled to him. Because this one mediator between God and men, it is the man, Christ Jesus, in 1 Timothy 2.5. That's why. So he cried out. But you can see the description of even the suffering and the physical things that went on in the cross that went on there. 22, 22 verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. It was designed so that he would even suffocate. He would try to raise himself up because everything was sinking down. My tongue cleaves to my jaw, intense thirst. Because even prior to that, he had six different trials where he was brutalized and beaten beyond recognition. In Psalm 50, verse 6, and uh, in, in Isaiah 50, verse 6, and Isaiah 52, verse 14, by the Navy SEALs of the day, beaten to a pulp, which in their hands, which, which amounted to be bamboo. And he said, you have brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. Not just all those, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Essenes, and all the evil people shouting at him. You read Matthew, the 26th chapter, you'll see it. In those synoptics too, Matthew, Mark, and Luke bringing out, bring it out in a full picture, you'll see it. They compassed, they have, they have compassed me about, of course, on all the atmospheric projections and lies that were completely focused on him in his humanity while he was on the cross. Can you imagine what he must have heard? For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. That's why finally Israel, when he finally comes back in Revelations 1-7, it says, Every eye will see him, and they which also pierced, me, pierced him. The Jews gave him over to the Roman government to pierce him, to kill him, to murder him. And then all the others will have woe 
and the world that they will experience in Revelations 1-7 is, oh my God, he's real, he's ruined all our plans. <laughs> you want to talk about insanity. I may tell all my bones that are popping out. They look, at, they look and stare at me. They part my garments. You see that the soldiers actually did all of this. Be not... Be you not far from me, O Lord, O my strength, because you have been my whole walk in my humanity, you have been. But where are you now? Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. We know that's Satan in 1 Peter 5, 8. For you have heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Now, how would we understand that? Well, you know, oh God. I will declare your name unto my brethren. Of course, he couldn't do that if he didn't rise. If he didn't rise, in 1 Corinthians 15, you can start at verses 14 and go all the way through to the chapter about the resurrection. Neither would we have risen with him. And he wouldn't thus be able to declare his very nature to, the, to us. This is fulfilling. Again, this is in Hebrews 2.11. Hebrews 2.11, both he that sanctifies makes holy and them that are sanctified are all of one. Wherefore, he's not ashamed in 2.12 of Hebrews, not ashamed to call them brethren because I'm going to declare with them your name for all eternity. Can you imagine that scene? It's going on right now and it's filling up. <laughs> Some are going to get there quicker than others but not until their perfect time. In the meantime, while they wait, it's nice for him. And it's nice when he waits with us and we wait with him. I will declare your name, your nature unto your brethren. In the midst of that whole congregation, I'm going to praise you. Did you hear that? He's going to be praising with us, the Lord. That's fulfillment on our part of Hebrews 13, verse 15. We'll do that. Why? Because Christ was raised from the dead. That's what this is from the unicorns. How do I understand that? You heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And without going into too much of a detail, he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. He then declares that name, that nature to you and I. He is the very declaration of it, the very manifestation of it. We see that in John 1, verses 1 and 2, and then he put on humanity in 1, verse 14 to do that, the greatest manifestation. And of course, the greatest place of that uh, manifestation, that revelation was the cross. Where man, where Satan and man, all against, doing everything against him, only brought out the glory of God. It's all it ever did. So I'll declare it, and Christ praises him with us in the midst of us, in the midst of the church. And that why? Because there was a need for God to be manifested in all the perfections that were manifested in Christ himself. You know, that's the life we have and that's what he's doing in us. We're going to see it. Well, in those, those perfections were the very answers to the work that Christ himself in his person completed in the accomplishment of his works. And amazing when we think about it. And why was that? Well, it was due that he should. It was, he was worthy of that, that it should be done. So all our worth is not in what I'm not. It's all in who he is. Sometimes we think I'm not worthy. That's never the, that's never, that's the place the enemy wants to bring us to in the flesh. I'm not worthy. That's not even a question. That's pride. 
Is he not worthy after every single thing that he did to not make us worthy in himself for his father? There's no question about it. That answers all of that. It was due him that he should be and that he should and that you and I should respond to that work that's been accomplished for us in the love manifested through Christ that he did and that he is. And there is a, this expression, there's an expression here in the delight of God himself. Even when he said it, prior to the cross, prior to any of that, remember at his baptism he said in Matthew 3 verse 17, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Did Jesus have a sin nature? Could he have ever been tempted to sin if it even in that sense all the pleasure of the Father was found in him. Could that be if he had a sin nature? It could never be. His humanity was impeccable. Not even liable to sin. Because you have to have that nature to do so. Unlike us. <laughs> well, he found it. God found all his delight in his Son. And you let, that's where you and I are. No wonder it says in Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you proper desires. Then in those desires, when they're proper, will cause you to rule all your responsibility onto him in 37 verse 5. Then you won't fret in Psalm 37 verse 7. Fret not yourself, but hope and trust in him for everything. Because after all, he did all of that. Will he not with him freely give you all things? In Romans 8, 31 and 32. Well, he did it. The name of his God and Father in love was unfolded to us in the most magnificent way. His whole lifetime, up and even to the cross, where it was greatly manifested in all of its glory and splendor. Now, so you can see that and then follow that through in those 31 verses in Psalm 22 because then it brings us right to Psalm 23. Every single thing that he went through was so that he could shepherd us individually, because that's how he does it, individually. So can he be trusted for every circumstance, every single detail, every single, is he worthy of our trust? Is he worthy? Well, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. Really, the Hebrews, the Lord my shepherd, no lack. That's Hebrew. The Lord my shepherd, no lack. No lack. He makes me. He's the cause. He causes me to lie down in the most tender pastures of green grass. To lay down in mercy. To, not, to lay down and not deserving what I get. So that when I lay down in the tender, compassionate mercies of God... That, I, that he subtracts from me, he can add to me the grace of who I am in Christ. It makes me lay down. Green. He leads me. Who? He leads me. Beside what? Waters of what? Quietness. That's the Hebrew. Waters of quietness. Psalm 46.10. Be still. No, I need to be active. I can't wait. No, be still. And only in that stillness and rest, in a place of, of my, where my love can reach you and your experience, yeah, 
and know that I'm God. In you specifically. And know it. He's the one that restores my soul. He has to bring me, he has to bring my self-consciousness back to proper focus. He restores my soul. He's still leading me in paths of righteousness. He is. He constantly is bringing me to a place of recovery in gracious love to those that have departed from him in their experience. He still does it. And he does it for his name's sake. He does it because of what Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf. Because you know, in Genesis 22 verse 8, God had to have his son provide for him first so that he could provide for us. That's why love doesn't fail. God provi- In providing for himself, God has provided for us. For him to fail us, he would have to fail who he is. He would have to deny his son in every single thing that he went through. And what does worry and doubt reveal? It's a betrayal of trust in him. And not that we are that, but that's what it can lead to. Well, yea, though I walk through, through the valley of what? The shadow of death. What's, what's death to the believer? It's a shadow. Ecclesiastes 7.1. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. For well, who's that for? For the Christian, those that are in Christ. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. When he's leading me, I will fear what? No what? Evil. Because what is greater than evil? God. And God is, and I will either be occupied with him or evil in some form, which brings fear. For you are with me. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never. No, never. No, never in every, any way ever leave you nor forsake you. Joshua 1.5, I will not fail you nor forsake you. Never. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This goes into when the will is submitted. It's a rod. And, and it's a rod. And you know the rod was what the shepherd used. Okay? In, in the physical picture in Asia... There were many different, many different flocks of different sheep with different shepherds that would go into one place. But each shepherd would take his rod and place it down so that the, shep- the sheep that had to go in, they'd have to bend low, which speaks of humility, so that he could inspect them to see if any injury or anything had attached itself to them that didn't belong there so that he could repair it. That, so that he could heal it, Psalm 107, verse 20. And then the staff had the crook. Oh, sometimes we think that those situations and circumstances and people, oh, how they trip us up. No. It was a faithful shepherd because we would have went right off that cliff with our own understanding that we were trusting in. Verses Proverbs 3, verse 5, <laughs> and 6, and 7, and 8. They comfort me, and the comfort there even is in chastisement, by the way. He comforts us in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, and Hebrews chapter 
12, verses 4, right through to the 29th verse. Those that are ours, those that are his, us, he comforts us with truth. And when the will's not involved, he allows the backsliding for a little period. And then when that, then when that finally isn't enough, he chastises us. You prepare a table before me. I've seen this so many times, I could burst in tears when I tell you this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I can't tell you how many times he's done that. How many mornings up there? How many mornings? The presence of my enemies, all those sins, all the guilt, all the lies, all the projections, all my struggles and trying the enemy trying to make it, all those enemies. And we don't wrestle against blood and flesh. In Ephesians 6, 12, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, we do not, but he prepares a table. It could be all night attacked, and he lets the enemy have his way. Because you know what he does then? He says, now that's as far as you can go. Now you're going to have to stop short and watch me sit down and feast with him right in your presence. And you can't do a thing about it. My wife brought up the book of Job. Every single thing that, that God allowed that enemy to do, that little so-and-so was on a choke chain. He could only do what God allowed to glorify himself and to bless those that were his. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my oppressors. He can't, he can't possess us, but oh, how he likes to obsess us in Psalm 62 and verse 10. And when God is not my expectation and I don't wait for him because his timing and his provision are equal in terms of their importance, if he's not my expect expectation, then look out. Then I won't, in Psalm 62 verse 8, trust in him at all times. I won't pour out my heart to him. But I'll be oppressed in 62.10. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my oppressing enemies. And you anoint. You anoint. My head with oil. Oil in all through the scriptures is a type of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ. And starts anointing our head. There's balm involved, a balm, an ointment. You see that all through the scriptures. Jeremiah 46, verse 11, I believe. Is there no balm in Gilead to heal? And of course, it's the Holy Spirit who takes the word, the things that are Christ, and he anoints our head with oil. And oh, when I thought it was, I'd never get out when I thought maybe it was over, when I maybe thought I'll never have energy again, he comes in, prepares the table, sit. You sit and you let me do everything. And he does. And then he, he protects me. And he, he anoints my head with oil. In, in the, back then in Israel and the surrounding areas, it was, it was desert heat. And it would speak of the sun. The sun speaks of trials that we go through and beats down on us. They would anoint themselves with oil and it would protect them. He anoints my head with oil. I start thinking with him. I'm no longer thinking oppressive thoughts. I'm thinking right now with God Almighty. 
And when I thought it was over, his grace comes in, and oh my God, my cup, my capacity, it's just flowing. And God always does more in each of us in terms of even his comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he's not comforting us to make us comfortable. He's comforting us with that oil, with that table prepared to make us comforters of others, joints that supply. My cup just flows over. Oh, it's nothing like his word. There's nothing like his word for me. Nothing like it. There's nothing like him or his word. Well, because of that surely goodness, the goodness that's only in God in Exodus 34, verse 6, and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell safely in the house of the Lord for unto the eternity of the eternities. When it brings out his name, the Lord, the Lord here, and some, there's a little bit of a controversy on it, and some scholars, and I don't bother getting into that. When it gets confusing to me and sources, I just pray, say, okay, God, what, what is it? Just tell me. His name. Some say Jehovah. I do not. I don't think that that is, and it's not a descriptive name. And some, some, one of these mornings, the times we'll get into it, is Yahweh. The name is Yahweh. Y a h e h. Remember when he said to Moses, and Moses was done as far as he was concerned with God. He's done. He's eighty. He's on the backside of the desert. That's when he appears to him, and then God said to him. Yahweh, Haya, and that means to be. To be, <laughs> that's what his name, it means to be. What is, he, what is he not being for us? I wrote this down this morning when God brought this into me, and, and, and I'll, I'll share it. But the Hebrew is Haya, Asher, Haya, Exodus 3, verse 14. I am that I am. You know, Moses asked him two questions, and we always do this. Who am I? What's everything all about? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? I don't know. And basically, that's what we're asking. Who am I? I need definition. Who am I? And then the next question is, who are you? And in between those two things, there's one answer. I am that I am. I am that I am. I am the self-existing one. I am him. I am God. I am the absolute. I went, whoa. And then I wrote it down as God gave it. The absolute, that's who God is. The absolute is the necessity. The necessity that God is, is the absolute. <laughs> his essence, his character, his nature is, is my essential necessity. It's knowing him. No wonder Paul cried that at the end of his life, 67 years of age. He's chained to a Roman guard, and God has to refine him and refocus that man again to say, oh, I'm, I'm glad I'm here. By sight doesn't look well. I seem confined. But he brought me to this place so I would not be found. I would ever find myself again in my own unrighteousness, in my own righteousness, which was was and is unrighteousness. 
Why? That I may know him. Do you know why God has us in our expressed circumstances and situations? You know who designed them and uses them? It's to what? That I may know him. Why? It's essential. Because long before I ever desired to know him, he knew me. He formed me specifically. And he has a specific plan. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 brings it out. So as we wrap it up this morning and not scratching it again. <laughs> oh Lord. We'll just have to do it. And that's what makes these mornings, boy, when you can, these mornings are rich. As much as you can, please. I don't know, what's the matter with wanting to be with people you love? And that means something to you. That's it. Period. <laughs> That's where it starts with me and ends with me. He's the absolute. And even here, when it's, he is ayah, azure ayah, it's imperfect. You know what the imperfect? A perfect means past tense, present active, the action of love and grace that's completed. But he, this is the imperfect. He'll never stop being who he is. That's what it's saying. I will never stop being everything you ever need because I'm absolute. I'm absolute, and I am. You're necessary. And I gave my son to bridge that gap and remove all distance, to remove it all. It's the imperfect. So really, his name, the Lord is my shepherd. If you want to know what this is saying in the Hebrew, this is what it's saying. It's the imperfect. And the more accurate, accurate translation will be, I will be what I will be. And what's he always been? What did Jesus say? Write these words in 21 verse 5 of Revelations. Write them down and he's writing them in our hearts and in our experience. I am truth and I am faithfulness. That's it. I am truth and I am faithfulness. That's who I am. And then we'll just give these names and we'll stop. All the different names that we see. You can see it. Again, this is Psalm 23.1. You see it. I don't have time to go into these. Isaiah 7, verses 4 and 9 go into it. Exodus 3, verse 13. Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 goes into this, into this very meaning. But his name, watch what he does. And he's done all of this in Christ. There's only, listen, there's only right now in this church age, two people groups, the, the saved in Christ and the unsaved, those outside of him. Right? They're only, they're, they're, what are they now? Jews and Gentiles. Right now, they can all be one in Christ. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, bring it out. Bring it clearly out. But even what he was, while he was, Isaiah 30, verse 18, waiting to be gracious, through Christ their Messiah, who they rejected and hated, all he wanted to be was Yahweh Yirah. We had Jehovah Jireh. I'm just going to pronounce it the right way. Yahweh Yirah. And God will always, what is that name that expresses his nature? Boy, did I love studying this this morning. Yahweh Yirah. Yahweh sees. Don't you think he doesn't see it? What you're involved in. Your pain. Boy, did he ever feel it through his son. Don't you think he doesn't? Because he knows. He sees. No, no one understands. Yes, he does. He sees. 
He knows. That's his name, expresses his nature. And you see that in Genesis 22, verses 13 and 14. Then you have Yahweh Nissi. Who's that? The Lord, Yahweh, is my banner. When the enemy comes against me, and we see that in Isaiah 59, verse 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood. Not if, but when the enemy comes in like a flood. The projections, the lies, the accusations, all of this. When it comes in, the Lord's my banner. He leads me in battle. He's my banner. And on it, he says, you are all fair, my love. There's no spot in you. In Song of Solomon 4.7, you're more than a conqueror. Romans 8, verse 37. And you follow me, and I, you watch what I do. I'm your banner. And that banner speaks of, it's finished in John 19.30. You go into battle, it's over. Look out. That's Yahweh. He, is, he fights your personal battles. He sees them in a way that you and I could never see them. That's why we need to trust him. That's brought out in Exodus 17, verse 15. He is Yahweh Shalom. <laughs> Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh, he's my peace. When I don't have any and I submit myself, oh, I have peace in him. You see that in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We don't have time to share all these verses. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, he's our peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3, he'll keep us in perfect peace. Peace that's completed itself about us. Whose mind, whose constant thought is, is Christ. And we see that beautifully here. Yahweh, shalom. He's our peace. You see that in Judges 6, verse 24. And then he's, he's Yahweh, shalmah. And what's that mean? Yahweh, he's there. You're not alone. He's with you. And those struggles, the sin that you hate, the victory you deeply desire, he sees it. He knows it. He's your peace even in the midst of it. He sees it. He's your banner. He's going to lead you through. He's going to lead you through. He's going to lead me through. Because he's there. Never to leave us nor forsake us. He's there. And then he's Yahweh. Here's a great word. to said canoe. <laughs> Figure that one out. But I'm going to tell you what it means. Yahweh. He's there. He sees. He knows. He's at peace. He's our banner. He's there. You know why? Because Yahweh is our righteousness. That's what that word means. He's our righteousness. You see that in Jeremiah 23 in verse 6. And then he's Yahweh Ra'ah. <laughs> Yahweh Ra'ah. And what's that? Oh, this one, I, Yahweh, my shepherd. Personally. Everything he did, he did individually and personally to you and I. And then finally, he is what? Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh, my healer. Oh, God, he heals us. Psalm 107, verse 20, we just quoted, quoted a little while ago. He sent his word. That's Jesus Christ in John 1.14. He sent his word and he healed them. And he healed them. He didn't leave it up to us to do. He healed them. And he delivered them from all their destructions. Plural. Plural. He sees it all. He sees it all. He's our shepherd. We don't have time to get into the 24th one. But... We see as a result of all that, here we are on the earth, and I'll just read it real quick. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's. 
and the fullness thereof, the world, the whole, everything, and they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, established it upon the floods. Listen, who will ascend? And we're going to get into this the next time, probably Tuesday morning. Who will ascend into the hill of the Lord? What does that mean? How do I interpret that? Who's going to ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who will stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. We can function in who we are in Christ, or function in all of that in the flesh. And thank God in Romans 8, 9, the flesh may be in us, but we are not of it. And we're going to bring it out again. These verses, uh, Tuesday, uh, morning, because we don't have the time right now, but I can tell you this, those little words in and of are chock full of meaning. Not one word in the scriptures is out of place when we understand and are brought to our proper place. What a loving God we have. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word this morning and for what you give us in so short a time. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that we can live longer and still function, have the opportunity to experience you in a much deeper way. I just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.